The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. We do have a great gospel to proclaim, Father. It's good news. We praise you and thank you for the good news. We praise you, Father, for giving us voices to sing the good news and uh, voices to proclaim the good news. We thank you, Father, too, that you offer forgiveness to us for not doing that, not sharing that good news with those we encounter day in and day out. Oh, God, forgive us. By your death, we live again. May we share that good message with those we encounter every day. And we thank you for your church. Church gathered of believing ones who've been justified by grace alone for the glory of God alone. We pray, Father, that you might do a work in our lives even today because you're also sanctifying us, you're growing us, you're building us into the people of God you created us to be. And so do that to us today. Strengthen your church. Empower your church by your spirit. And even as we gather here and we share in the fellowship afterwards, Lord, there are those in our fellowship who are hurting, some in the hospital, some in physical pain, some grieving, some in spiritual crisis. Whatever it may be, whatever the struggle is, Lord, use us to minister to them. I pray that even now you would minister to them by your Spirit as we worship you. That you would heal their hurts. You would point their hearts toward you. Do your work in their lives. We pray, too, that you would do your work in our lives today. You've blessed us in so many ways, innumerable ways. You've provided your blessings for us. You're God of grace and God of mercy. Teach us to show that to each other as we serve you together as we walk with you and learn to do it by your word your word that's proclaimed to us this day we pray your blessings on our pastor speak through him Lord use those words to open our hearts to change us and move us from where we are right now to where you want us to be and for doing that we promise to praise and glorify your name Amen. I would invite you, if you would, to turn to First Peter chapter 2. We have this morning a uh, rather straightforward and simple purpose, which uh, brings us together, and that is to enjoy the wonderful privilege of gathering around the Lord's table and together taking the Lord's Supper. It is for us something that is remarkably meaningful.
This is not just a church ritual. It's not just a part of what we do because it's what we do. It's a very significant, it's a very important, it's a very central facet of our Christian faith to gather around this table and to take these elements and to share this meal together. And so our task this morning as we look to God's Word and we look to 1 Peter chapter 2 is to prepare us for, for the table. It's to prepare us uh, to come before the table with a proper mindset, to come before the table with a, a mind that is properly reflecting on the Lord and with hearts that are properly clean before Him. And so that's what we will do briefly this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper serves a remarkable purpose in the life of God's people. It serves more than one purpose, but there is a, a, a primary purpose for which the Lord, I believe, has left us this ordinance. And it's so that we would simply remember. Or put negatively, it's so we wouldn't forget. I don't know about you, but I can be forgetful. Can you be forgetful? The things that you forget sometimes. We could probably uh, go around the room and you can share stories, probably some that are funny of things that you've forgotten over time. Uh, like the time I forgot to pay the water bill and went on a mission trip and um, my wife was in the shower and no water came out. Um, yeah, Funny for me, not so much for her. I've forgotten other things. You've forgotten things too. Probably some funny moments like that in your life where... Where you forgot something and you laugh about it, there are other things that, um, that, that for which when we forget, there's significant consequences. The Lord understands that people like us are weak, and we are forgetful, that, that we are apt to forget things. We're apt to even forget very important things. It's not just trivial things like our keys that we forget. It's not just trivial things like little bills or little nuances of life that we overlook that can be easily fixed. He knows that we forget important things too. And he knows that there is a a very real danger that his people will forget him. Forget him. There's a real danger that that we'll just get busy with life. That we'll get busy doing other things that our attention will be on other things that will be distracted. And the days and the weeks and the months, even the years will roll by. And we can forget Him. This has always been a real challenge for God's people. As long as there's been a people of God. And the Lord knows that. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 and following, the Lord warned His people about this very thing. He says to them, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. The one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert. That thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and its scorpions. He brought you out of uh, water, out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert. Something your forefathers had never known. He did all this to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, 
He knew that this would be a possibility that you might say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it's He who gave you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God, you follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Through the mouth of Moses, the Lord gives a very, very clear instruction to His people, a very clear warning. He warns them of a danger that is inherent in human nature. And He warns them of severe consequences if they don't heed the warning. And what was the general tenor of the warning? The warning is, you're about to go into a land that I've promised you. You're about to inherit all of the wealth and blessing that comes with being in that place. You're about to inherit all the good that I've promised you, all these generations. But you better be warned that once it begins to come your way, you become, to get pro- you become prosperous. You build big houses. You accumulate fine things. And all of a sudden, you're no longer in need. You have everything that you need, and you have an abundance of things. All of a sudden, you have all the stuff that you've ever wanted and ever needed, and there's going to be a real tendency in your life when all that begins to play out. Two things are going to happen. One thing is, you're going to forget your God. You're going to forget what He's done for you. And he goes on right there to remind them, here are some of the things he's done. Don't forget what he's done. You remember he led you through the desert. You thought you were going to die and he rescued you and led you through. You remember when you were, when you were starving and he provided you food? You remember when you were dying of thirst and he miraculously made water come out of a rock? Don't forget that. Don't forget that. You remember when your life was constantly hanging in the balance and time after time after time he rescued you. You're going to get wealthy and you're going to get prosperous. And you're going to be quick to forget all that. And your forgetfulness can possibly, potentially, unchecked, go all the way to the point where one day you wake up and you look in the mirror and you look around at all the great stuff that you have and you look at yourself and you say, My, my, aren't you something? Look at what you've done for yourself. And you begin to fool yourself into believing that you are responsible for all this in your life and not your God it's pride he says we're tempted to that's a real warning and he says listen I'm just warning you because if that plays out in your life if that plays out in this nation you'll be destroyed it's a warning and it's a promise you'll be destroyed sadly God's people did not heed that warning They didn't listen to what Moses had told them. They forgot the Lord. It played out exactly the way the Lord laid it out as possible. We get to Judges chapter 2, verses 7 and following. Here's what we find. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. But after that, a whole generation, excuse me, after that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. 
they forgot. And the generation before them forgot to tell their children. Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. What happened to God's people? They forgot Him. They forgot Him. So when we get to Judges chapter 2, verse 14, what was God's promise? If you forget me, you'll be destroyed. Judges chapter 2, just the first few verses later, verse 14, In His anger against Israel... The Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to all their enemies around them, whom they were no longer able to resist. When Israel, whenever they went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as He had sworn to them. And they were in great distress. God promised, and God always makes good on His promise, doesn't He? They forsook the Lord, they forgot Him. And the hand of the Lord that was at one time with them was now against them. And all the destruction that comes with that. You see, God understands human nature. And He understands our tendency toward forgetfulness and our tendency toward pride. Hosea chapter 13 verse 6, God says this, When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. That's the pattern, succinctly put. Prosperity, pride, forgetfulness. And the warning that God laid on the doorsteps of those Israelites is the same warning that He lays at the doorsteps of modern-day people who belong to Him as well. We're people just like they were people. We had the same kind of human nature that they had. We had the same kind of tendency to fall into that same pattern that they had. We get busy with our lives. We get caught up in our things. We have, for the most part, everything that we need in our lives. And we have an abundance of things beyond that. We enjoy the richness of God's blessing all the time. And we forget Him. We forget about Him. And months and days and weeks and years go by. And the Lord doesn't even register the top ten things going on in our life. It happens. And the warning is there for us, just as it was for them, for us as individual believers, and for us, really, as a corporate nation. You forget me, you begin to worship other gods, and I'll destroy you. Well, Jesus was well aware of that tendency. It had played out many times by the time Christ comes along in the first century. And so he sits down with his disciples just before his arrest and his subsequent crucifixion burial and resurrection and he lays out for them a means by which they can hold that forgetfulness at bay it's called the Lord's Supper he says I'm going to give you something I understand your your human nature I understand your tendency to forget I'm going to give you something to help you I'm going to give you a meal to share with one another and I want you to do it regularly I want you to get together regularly, and you're to do this for one purpose, in remembrance of me. You're to do it so that you won't forget me. It's to serve the purpose in your life of holding back that forgetfulness. It's to serve that purpose of giving you clear and precise 
unhindered moments where you can remember me and not forget. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup whenever you drink of it. Do it in remembrance of me. The primary purpose of what we've come to do this morning is to share in this ordinance ordained by the Lord that we might not forget Him. And so our goal this morning is remembering. It's remembering things that perhaps we've forgotten. It's remembering things that maybe we haven't fully forgotten but have grown foggy in our minds. It's, it's to remember things that have been eclipsed by other thoughts and other desires of our hearts. It's to remember the gospel. It's to remember, in fact, the very heart of the gospel, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what took place there. As we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Peter gives us in the very last two verses of this chapter a wonderful, simple, straightforward couple of sentences that help us remember what we need to remember this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Peter has just finished up this section on dealing with submission to authority. He's just laid out Jesus Christ as an example for slaves who are suffering unjustly to, to emulate because he suffered unjustly and he did it with grace and dignity. And on the heels of that, he lays out these two, these two statements, or these couple statements in verses 24 and 25. Speaking of Jesus, he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you've been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and to the overseer of your souls. In these two simple statements, we have a, 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 very, short, a very short remembrance of the gospel. A very short remembrance of the heart of the gospel, the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's just simply a theological way of saying, remembering that what happened on the cross primarily is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took our place. He substituted himself for us. And Peter tells us that in some vivid Language, Just as he has done in chapter 2 earlier, he reaches back to the Old Testament and he ties together what was said by the prophets in the Old Testament with what took place on the cross and he pulls the picture together so that we might see it fully. He quotes heavily from Isaiah 53 here in these two verses. I'm going to take them this morning just, as we, just to lead us through something that... Uh, that I know you know, but we need to remember. I'm going to take this back in, in sort of reverse order. We're going to begin in verse 25 for the first part there. For you were straying like sheep. Because Peter reminds his listeners, or his readers in this case, he reminds them of the sorry state they were in before they came to know Christ. And he simply reminds them of that by saying this one statement. You were straying like sheep. This is who you were before Christ. You were straying like sheep. It's a, re it's a reference to Isaiah 53, verse 6, where Isaiah writes, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. 
Isaiah said it. Peter says it again. And they're simply using a very simple illustration that's so easy for us to understand. He's using the illustration of a wandering sheep to describe a human condition. I trust that none of us are shepherds, but we don't need to be shepherds. And we don't even need to have a farm or sheep to understand what a, a wandering sheep is. A wandering sheep is, is, a, is a danger to himself. A wandering sheep, it's just simple. You get the picture of, of, a, of a big field with a bunch of sheep and their shepherd. And one, shepherd, uh, one sheep off to the side, wandering away from the crowd, wandering away from the fold, going off and doing his own thing. If you're a sheep, that's a dangerous thing to do. There's safety and there's security in the fold near the shepherd. But when you wander off and do your own thing, you put yourself in all sorts of danger. There's the danger of injury. There's the danger of getting lost and not being able to find your way back. There's the danger of of being exposed to predators that will eat you in a second. As a sheep, you have no way to defend yourself against such things. And to wander away as a sheep is a dangerous thing that puts you in imminent danger. Deadly, life-threatening danger. And Peter says to to these believers, he says, that's what you were. You were straying like sheep. This word straying is the word continually straying. You were, you were like sheep continually straying off and doing your own thing. You were continually moving away, charting your own course. He's saying to sinners, sinners, that's what you all were. You, every one of you. You were continually straying from your shepherd. It's another way of just saying you were all sinners who sin. The straying began all the way back in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? Back in the very beginning, you remember? God creates Adam. He creates Eve. He creates the Garden. He lays everything out. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and following, the Lord God took the man and He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the Garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what? You shall surely not eat. From the day you eat of it, You'll surely die. You'll die. It's a warning. I've given it all to you. Just don't do this one thing. Don't disobey me. Don't rebel. Don't do your own thing. Genesis 3, verse 6 and following, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And in that moment, sin enters into the human experience. Rebellion against the Creator, straying from the shepherd, becomes the experience of humanity. And that pattern has played out in the life of every single human being since Adam and Eve. We've all strayed. We're all continuously straying. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says it this way, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's another way of saying every human being has had that same experience. We are continually straying from our shepherd. We are sinners who sin continually. There's an awful lot of people who live in denial about that. It was true in the first century, true in our day. John writes in 1 John 1, 8 uh, uh, and following, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us 
But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, every one of us is a sinner. You can deny it all you want, but that doesn't make it true. The truth is, just like Peter's readers, we've strayed and gone our own way. And the word of God tells us there's a price for that straying. Verse 23 of Romans 6, the wages of our sin is what? It's death. For Adam and Eve, that meant a physical death, but it also meant an eternal death, an eternal separation from their Creator. Every human being is a sinner who's strayed, a sheep that's gone away from the shepherd, and every human being, because of that, is facing a price for that, eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, this is at the end of time, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. That's a summary of sinners. What happens to sinners at the end? Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's the death. That's the wage of our sin that Paul was talking about in Romans 6.23. You see, God is holy and He hates sin. And every human being is a sheep that's strayed, a sinner, facing the price of eternal death. That, that is the case of every person apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got a personal relationship with Him because you repented of your sin and you've entrusted yourself to Christ, that's who you were. And Peter is writing primarily to believers, and he does not want them to forget who they were. You know, there's a real danger as Christians. The longer we become Christians, the harder it is to remember what it was like before we were Christians. We forget that we were sinners who were in rebellion. We begin to think we're somebody. We begin to think we're holy. We begin to think we're, hey, we're pretty godly people. We're pretty righteous folks. We forget what it was like when we were desperate, when we had no hope, when we were a strayed sheep that was in imminent danger. We can never forget that. Do you remember what it was like before Christ? Do you remember what it was like when you were just living in sin, unashamed and unembarrassed, unapologetic, unrepentant? It's important for us to remember our straying. It's important for us to remember our sin. It's an important part of coming to this table is remembering our sin. I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. And I'm going to give you just... 20 seconds. I want you to reflect personally on what your life was like before Christ. The sin that marked your life. It's different for every one of us. I want you to reflect on what it was like to be a straying sinner without hope and without Christ. And I want you even now to reflect on what it has been like in recent days, even as a Christian. What kind of sin has crept into your life? In what ways have you strayed away? I want to ask you right now to confess that sin before the Lord. To repent of it. To turn from it. The lies. The anger. Bitterness unforgiveness, hatred, withholding love 
lacking grace. And you fill in the blanks. Lord, we recognize our tendency to stray. And we understand that there's a price for that sin. A heavy price because you're a holy God. As Christians, we our hearts break as we reflect on our sin because we know that there was a price for it. And even as Christians today, Lord, we recognize that sin, that sin still marks our lives in many ways, and so we come before you for seeking your forgiveness, even today for the sins we've committed this week, even this morning. Forgive us, cleanse us, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. It's a good thing the story of the gospel doesn't end with sinning, straying sheep, isn't it? Isn't it a good thing? Peter says it doesn't end there, and it didn't end there, because he says God did for us straying sheep, something we could never do for ourselves. He says Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. Isn't that amazing? Jesus Christ Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. And by His wounds, what? We've been healed. That's wonderful news, isn't it? It's wonderful news that He Himself, Christ Himself, God Himself, did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He became our substitute. He took our death penalty in our place. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. You know, when you look at the cross, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, taking your place. He's taking your place, Peter says, in order that He might bring you to God. Get that picture of the sheep. We're sheep who've strayed away. He is the shepherd who has now pursued us and is now paying for us so that He might bring us back to God. When you think about the cross, when you think about the bloody, beaten, ravaged body of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize that's what's happening? The great shepherd of the sheep saw you straying and he pursued you. He pursued you and he captured you. And the great loving shepherd understood that there was a price to be paid for your straying, a price that you could never pay for yourself. And he knew that you could never find your way back to the fold, so you know what he did? He paid it for you by his very own blood on the cross. He died so that you wouldn't have to die and so that you could be brought back to God. He bore our sins in His body on the tree. The guilt of our sin was credited to Him. And the penalty for our sin was poured out on Him in our place. The great substitution. Think about the cross. Think about what it cost for your sin and mine. You know, Jesus was arrested. He was put on a fake trial. He was brutally flogged. 
biblical writers tell us, nearly beyond recognition, brutally beaten. A crown of thorns was, was crafted and smashed upon his head, and a purple robe was adorned to his body. He was paraded before the people, and he was mocked. He was made fun of. Spit upon. He was punched in the face. He was made to carry his own cross all the way out to Golgotha, where Roman soldiers took spikes and they drove them through his wrists and through his feet. And they lifted that cross up into its position and fastened it there. And he hung. For you and for me. And he suffered beyond measure in those moments. Not just the the physical brutality of it all, but the emotional and the spiritual. Bearing in those moments the fullness of the wrath of God the Father on your sin and on mine. And on the sins of every believer all throughout the history of humanity. Our shepherd dying in our place. By his wounds we're healed. Not by our good works. Not by our religious activities. But by his wounds. By his shed blood. By his payment of our penalty. We are healed. The greatest problem you and I have ever had in our lives is our problem with sin. And it's a problem we could do nothing about. The Lord Jesus has done something about it for us. He's died. He's endured the wrath of God for us. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten what the Lord Jesus has done for you? Have you forgotten the price for your sin? Have you forgotten that you had no hope apart from God Himself doing for you what you could never do for yourself? Remember it this morning. Look to the cross and see the bloody Jesus. Look to the cross and see the price for your sin. But look to the cross and see your your loving shepherd who's substituting himself for you with every gasp for air, with every bolt of pain through his body, with every drip of blood that poured out. All that to bring you a straying sheep to bring me as straying sheep back to God. To bring us back. Peter said he did it for a purpose. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you understand what took place on that cross? Jesus died there. Not primarily to give us peace. Not primarily so that we would go to heaven. Not primarily for anything other than that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He died there that we might be transformed and made new people. That our old sinful self might die with Him. And that He might bring us to new life. 
a new life that's transformed. A life that's no longer in bondage to sin without any way of escape, but a life now that can be lived in dependence upon Him righteously for His glory and for His honor. He died to transform us. He died that we might be made new. He died that a new pattern might take place in our lives, that we might die to our sin and live for Him. How do we do that? Well, we look to the cross and we look to Christ. And I want to ask you this morning as we prepare to come to this table, are you dead to your sin? Have you put your sin to death? Have you crucified it on the cross? When you wake up in the morning, do you wake up saying, Lord, help me to live righteously today. You died that I might have the power to live today for your glory. Don't let me live today like I lived before I came to know you. I want to live for righteousness and I want to die to my sin. As we approach the Lord's table here in these next moments, I want to ask you as we pray one more time, you pray something similar to that. Lord, help me die to my sin. Help me not to coddle it. Help me not to hide it. Help me not to keep it in a corner where I can sneak off to it in those moments where I'm weak. But help me to in this moment put it to death. That I might live for you. Whatever sin finds anchor in your life easily. Whatever habits hang on and you're tempted to give in to those on a regular basis. I pray that as you approach the Lord's table, you would seek His forgiveness and His help in putting those things to death because of what He's done for you and for me. Our Savior, our Shepherd, died to bring His wandering sheep back to God. Let's die to our sin and live to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this table in these moments with hearts that have reflected even briefly this morning. Lord Jesus, on what you've done. We don't want to ever forget. We don't want to ever forget. Not just because of the warnings of destruction. We don't want to ever forget because you're glorious and you're wonderful. More glorious and more wonderful than anything we know. More glorious, more wonderful than any material blessing we enjoy. Than any joy that we experience in this life. You're better. By far. Forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for pursuing the world more than we pursue you. Forgive us for thinking more about our jobs and our careers and our things and our money and our hobbies more than we think of you. Forgive us for letting days and weeks and months and years go by without any real reflection on your cross, on your blood shed for us. Forgive us, Lord, for the sins that so easily entangle us and trip us up. We are weak, but you are strong. And you promised if we repent and come before you and confess our sin, you are faithful and you're just to forgive us. So in these quiet moments, forgive us, Lord. Wipe the slate clean.
Help us to approach this table and this meal of remembrance with a pure heart and a desire to die to our sin and live righteously for You. Help us to remember the cross, Lord Jesus. Help us to remember Your substitution and why You had to do it. And may we glory and joy in You, for You are great. And we love You beyond measure. Bless this meal we take together, Lord, for our good and for your glory. Amen.